1: Hey, everyone. Want to talk to you about our friends at Squarespace. If you're running a business and you are using Squarespace, that means you have access to great analytics. You can use insights to grow that business, learn where your site visits and sales are coming from, and analyze which channels are most effective. You can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Just go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code STUFF, S-T-U-F-F, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles Chuck Bryant. Chuck Bryant. Yes, nice Chuck. We'll get to that in a second. Do it again. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Chuck's barking because this is Stuff You Should Know, and this particular Stuff You Should Know is uh, entitled, How Do
1: Dogs Perceive Time? And I said in dog language just then, I don't perceive time. That is up for debate, my friend. Up for vigorous debate. All right.
0: So, Chuck, um, let me let me do a little intro here, a little lead-in, segue, whatever. I know, I spoiled your parade there. What do we call them these days? What are we what? Segways, lead-ins, intros? Intro. Schmeckles? Schmeckles. Um, Chuck, ab- about a year ago, th- well, a year ago this month, Paris, well, France, Paris, France, mm-hmm. made history, legal history. How so? Uh, they actually used a dog as a witness in a criminal case. Did they get the dog to like bark at someone? Yep. Wow. I kid you not. Well, like an intruder? At the very least, and I hope I'm not a Bangladeshi newspaper here, um because I found it uh in the Daily Mail. Uh-huh. Which is not known for satire, but it's all it can be known for poor reporting from time to time. But so you may have egg on your face soon. We'll find out. Um, but there was a dog named Scooby that was brought into a this uh, sounds less paranormal. believable. It does, doesn't minute. it? I should have forwarded you this article. Um, there was a dog named Scooby that was brought into a murder case <laughs> or a hearing to see if there was enough evidence <laughs> to uh, try a man for murder. Wow. For something that was ruled a suicide. And the dog barked furiously at the uh, alleged perpetrator.
1: And they gave him a Scooby
0: snack? Yeah. So that was the last I heard. It was from a year ago. But there was some concern over whether the dog's memory would serve it or not because uh, it had been two and a half years since the incident.
1: Okay. That makes sense. And that's kind of key to how dogs may or may not perceive time. <laughs> it's the best I could come up with.
0: That's great. Thanks. So... Um, what that uh, what that betrays is a, a sense by at least the reporter and the courts in Paris that dogs have a memory that they they if they have a memory then they should be able to perceive time right right Chuck let's
1: talk about this what is time oh dude are you <laughs> kidding me well you know my whole deal with time I've said it before what well time is just abstract. Numbers on a calendar and, and hands on a watch aren't time. Well,
0: yeah, no. What you're talking about is the human construct of time. Yes. Based on 24 hours, Which right? is all kind of arbitrary, Seven really. days in a week. 30, well, not necessarily. Well, not here's, anymore. It's not. Here's why. Uh, it was actually kind of ingenious that we should come up with a 24-hour day because we have these things called circadian oscillators yes which are uh the well they're the fluctuators in our circadian rhythm which hormones. is what makes us fall asleep at night wake right. up in the morning body temperature get hungry at certain times neural activity right the neural activity and the hormones um are reactions to things like changes in temperature yeah. that are on a daily basis mm-hmm. um things like uh um the changes in natural light Right, sure. Right? So our our reactions to these are circadian oscillators. And if you put them all together, like sleeping at night and, and um, waking up in the morning, that's our circadian rhythm. Right. But these circadian clocks actually exist on about a 24-hour period. Well, that makes sense then. So, but like you said, days on the calendar and all that, that's, that is a human construct. Yeah, yeah. So what we're trying to get to the bottom of is whether or not dogs can perceive this not necessarily the human construct of time, right. but of time in and of itself, which is essentially a past,
1: present, and future. Exactly. And I know that one thing that we will talk about, and maybe we'll talk about right now, is you have three dogs. I have, Do you have any dogs? I have two dogs. What? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I have two dogs, and I'm actually fostering two. Feral puppy rescues, which you know. So right now, I have four do you dogs. want to get rid of those two dogs? Because we could get rid of them like that if we plug this on
0: this um on this podcast. Yeah, we're kind of picky about who we give them to. <laughs> okay, well, how about this? If you're not a creep and you love dogs and you live in the East Lake area, yeah, um, of Atlanta, s- send
1: us an email if you want one of Chuck's puppies. Very cute. Yeah. So anyway, if your dogs are anything like my dogs, they and actually my cats too, they know when the food bell is going to ring. Sure. Actually, they start. Emily calls it food abuse. They start the food abuse typically about an hour and a half before they typically get fed every afternoon. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, we feed them pretty much straight away in the morning, so they know they know then. But my dog Lucy, dude, comes in the room and looks at you with her head cocked, stamps on the floor with her feet, and goes, Urgh! Urgh! and I'm waiting her for her literally to one day say, "Feed me." A-. <laughs> one day, I told Emily if she did that one day. I would be surprised for about a second. So, Chuck, here is where we reach
0: the bone of contention. Right. The sorry for that pun. I'm not Jonathan Strickland. Your dogs do the
1: same thing though, I assume, right?
0: Well, no, my my dogs are fed constantly. They always have food. They
1: for some reason I'd lucked out and they, they just eat they it eat whenever when, they want, whenever God, they're hungry. I can't imagine that it's pretty cool. My actually. dogs eat their food like it's the first time they've ever been fed. I, I've twice seen that a day. before.
0: My dogs they're pretty laid back when it comes to stuff like that.
1: Are they fat? No. Really?
0: Uh, no, they're they're healthier than I am. Well, they don't. <laughs> they're <smile. laughs> healthier than a lot of people I know. No, they're very. They regulate their food intake on their own. It's weird. It's so weird. Um, to but me. the but I know what you're talking about. So the question is this: Do your dogs know, based on past experience, that food is coming at a certain time of day? Not necessarily like 5:35 p.m., but say. As far as the dogs concerned, when sun is low in sky over there, right? Are they Native and, American? Right. I'm yeah, saying? I was going to say, <laughs> no, they're they're like uh, Italians playing Native
1: Americans, right? Well, oh, you think I'm dumbbell? <laughs> so, um, or is it a circadian oscillator? Well, that's the circadian oscillator.
0: It could be, yeah, it could be. It, what what that is is you're they're using their memories of past experiences to predict the future, which is episodic memory, right. which is our construction of time, or is this semantic memory, which is totally different but related? Do you want me to go into this? Because this is outside research.
1: Uh, well, I have no choice then.
0: <laughs> semantic memory is, all right, Chuck, let's say that you have brain damage to your frontal lobe. I do, in fact. Which is where your episodic memory is right. uh, is located. That's the region that controls episodic memory, which is learning from experience, right? right? Um. You could conceivably learn how to play chess, right? Right. But you won't remember where you learned how to play chess.
1: Right. Much like uh, they say a baby learns how to walk and talk but they don't remember that day you taught me how to walk.
0: Right, they don't have to relearn crawling or walking or talking on a day-to-day
1: basis. Right, sure. because
0: they learned it and that's semantic memory. That's like facts and rules and and, and possibly motor movements or right. whatever or you know if I run into this wall it's going to hurt my face cuz I'm crawling. Right, right. But they don't remember, you, you know, somebody teaching week. them like come crawl to me, sure. that kind of thing, right? So yeah, that's semantic memory. Episodic memory, uh, would be like, um, what did you have for breakfast this morning?
1: I had a fruit smoothie. You had a fruit smoothie. I remember what the light looked like. I remember what, uh, what smelled like. That is precisely episodic memory.
0: And, uh, I should probably give a shout out to T.R. Zenthal, who I'm, like, just blatantly ripping off right now. Um, the, the, uh, chess example was, uh, one of Zenthal's, uh, uh, examples of semantic memory. And what you've just said, um, is almost word for word uh, an example of episodic memory. You said, you know, you remember these other details. Sure. Whereas had you said, um, I had I had a smoothie this morning, I must have because I and always have a smoothie. smoothie, right? That would be, well, not the burping part, but it's, if you always had it, yeah, then yeah, that'd yeah. be more like semantic memory. Okay. So we reached the question, do dogs perceive time or... Are these reactions that appear like they're they're keeping track of time some way, maybe through a circadian oscillator, based on semantic memories? And there's been a lot of studies that are not necessarily on dogs, but on other animals, right?
1: Yeah. What's uh what's this crackpot's name? <laughs> Roberts. Sorry. No. What's this guy's name? Dr. Roberts. Yeah. Oh, I, I have to say, I'm going to take issue with Dr. Roberts. Yeah. William Roberts. He's an uh, animal cognition researcher. Right. Right off the bat, you're taking issue with that. <laughs> His, Not that title. part. Okay. No. Yeah, he did some studies on pigeons uh, and primates, uh, to name a couple, and long-term and short-term memory as far as uh, remembering a sequence that they would, I guess the pigeons uh, would peck it out and the primates would tap it out and uh, <laughs> to get a reward. And they found that they have pretty good short-term memory for this kind of thing. Right, which is
0: what, uh, that's working memory, right? Yes, but long term as reference memory. Yeah,
1: but as far as the reference goes, they couldn't remember it that well if there was if there was a big break in between.
0: Right. Um, Roberts actually wrote a, a very famous paper as far as uh, animal cognition goes, uh, where he basically said that he concluded animals are stuck in time, and I just made air quotes for those of you out there listening <laughs> in podcast land. Um, and by stuck in time, he means that they are they live exclusively in the present that they don't have the capacity for forming uh, long-term episodic memory.
1: Episodic is the key word. It is very much the key word. Because I know at home you're saying, no, I taught my dog to sit when she was one. That's not the same thing. That's what we're talking about with the baby learning how to walk. Right. Um,
0: But that's that's not – there's a lot of uh, examples out there in nature Mm -hmm. that would kind of um, belie – uh, Dr. Roberts' uh idea that animals or dogs are stuck in time. Well a good one is uh squirrels foraging
1: uh food stocking up to for the winter store for the winter and yeah. doing
0: it year after year after year. Um I believe Roberts actually addressed that and says but they continue hoarding even when their stores inexplicably disappear, which I assume some researchers went and stole squirrels nuts and then <laughs> uh, studied them to see what they would do. I don't understand that at all. I don't either.
1: It seems like they would that would make them want to hoard.
0: Yeah. So I, I kind of have an issue with that one uh, a little bit, but it's possible I'm not entirely seeing that point all the way. I don't see the point. I'm not quite sure what,
1: what he meant there.
0: But um, – There's also one about uh, the bananas, right, Chuck? There's uh, there were some primates that were given choices between more or less bananas. Yeah,
1: and predictably, at first, if you offered an ape uh, one banana or two bananas, they're going to take the two bananas. Sure, but they found that when they started increasing the number of bananas, like ten compared to twenty, they would just go for the ten bananas. They wouldn't. He and he thought this meant they can't. they have no uh, concept of the future. Like, maybe I should take these bananas because I might be hungry tomorrow.
0: Right. Now, that's um, that I think Roberts fails to take into account social structure. Sure. Right? Uh, we, we know that we could use 10 bananas for tomorrow, but we also have things like um, preservation techniques mm-hmm. or refrigeration available to that's us. That's what I thought, too. And if you go back uh, in time just a few thousand years ago, um, to hunter-gatherer societies, or even hunter-gatherer societies that are around now, they don't store food at all. They forage for what they need right then, and that's what they eat. Uh, I would imagine that that would actually explain a lot of the primate decisions. There's no real reason to. their Society right. isn't set up on this idea that I need more and more to protect myself in the future. Exactly. I don't know that that necessarily means that they don't have any concept of the future. I think that there's all these other explanations out there.
1: Right. And they may, like one, I was when I read that, the first thing I thought was maybe they're not, they've never taken more than 10 bananas in their life because they've never needed to. So it doesn't even right. dawn on them that that should be something they would do.
0: Exactly. Well, I guess what we're saying, both of us are on the same page here. There are other explanations. I agree. And I think one of the things I took from this article was that uh, it, Roberts found it conclusive, that animals are stuck in time by cherry-picking some uh, some studies here. Yeah, and
1: we, we kind of disagree with them. Yeah. There's a lot of other factors. I know that my dog Lucy is stuck in time at 5.30 p.m. every day. Yeah. <laughs> because she's always asking for the food.
0: So I, I guess another problem, it's entirely possible, Chuck, that we're our brains just aren't big enough to uh, – they're not as big as Robert's brain. Maybe. Um, be, uh, did you ever hear that like goldfish have an eight-second memory span? I've never heard that. So I have, right? You have a goldfish in your. I cube. do have a goldfish here. Very cutie. Uh, yeah, Molly. She's very cute. Your, uh, its name Molly. I didn't know that. Yeah, interesting. Um, but having an episodic memory makes it almost impossible to think about um, not having one. So, like, if, if a goldfish does have a memory of eight seconds, mm-hmm. does it mean that every eight seconds all of its memories are purged, like getting rid of the browser history in, in your computer, um, or? as new experiences come into the present, our older ones pushed out after they hit this 8 second maturity level. Right. And how how do they
1: test that on a goldfish anyway?
0: Perfect chuck. Perfect segue. <laughs> Here's the biggest problem. Robert's position is almost inherently speciesist. You familiar with this term? Yeah. This is a legitimate term. I'm not making this up. Animals have no souls. Animals don't have souls. It's impossible for an, an like a, a dog to be happy because right. it, it, that's a secondary emotion, and yeah, dogs yeah, yeah. aren't self aware enough. There's a, a competing explanation for all of this. Um, speciesists tend to rely very strictly, or remain very strictly within the structure Uh um, provided by the scientific method.
1: And all his studies here, he probably came at it from that frame of mind, too. Sure,
0: right. Um, But there's another way of looking at it, and that is that humans simply haven't come up with tests that are clever enough to get definitive proof that an animal uh, can experience happiness or can... or or is aware of time, the future, the past, that kind of thing. You can take that way too far. Like after, you know, test after test after test that proves the opposite, you could still conceivably say, well, there's a test out there that that we haven't come up with yet that proves that they can. Um, But I think that the testing that has been done is very much below that threshold so far. I don't think we have a clue um, what... What animals are capable of as far as consciousness goes, because we have such a loose grasp on our own consciousness.
1: Sure, and we can't uh, certainly can't delve into an animal's brain and see what they think and they can't tell us anything. I guarantee you one thing. I bet you Dr. Roberts is not a dog owner. Agreed. Agreed, because you have dogs, dude, and I guarantee you we're going to get tons of mail from people saying, are you kidding? My dog displays emotion every day, and you know, I guess Caesar, the, the dog whisperer might say, you know, that's you're putting your human uh, construct on the dog's frame of mind.
0: Yeah, Anthro, uh, anthropomorphizing.
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. My dog is—they're they're both pretty uh, emotional.
0: Well, yeah, anthropomorphizing is the uh, go-to ammunition for speciesists. Yeah, and I don't want—I don't mean to say that anybody who's saying like, no, animals can't be happy because it's secondary emotion and they lack that sense of self-awareness right. that's required to experience a, a secondary emotion—is a speciesist. But the two often go hand in hand, and it's mm-hmm. really interesting that there's a line drawn right now between people who d- think animals don't have a soul right. and people who um, think animals can be happy and all of the implications that, that come with that.
1: Jerry, I bet you think your dog has a soul, right?
0: Jerry's saying yes.
1: Jerry just gave the sweetest face and nodded yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, – I feel like Chuck and I just opened a big old can of worms, so we'll see how this plays out in the emails, right? Yeah. If you want to read more about dogs perceiving time, uh, to answer the question, uh, according to Roberts, no, dogs don't perceive time. Time's a human construct consisting of a past, present, and future, and dogs pretty much live in the present. Chuck and I don't necessarily agree with that one. Uh, You can go on and type in dogs perceive time in the handy search bar at howstuffworks.com. Since I just said that, it means it's time for a whole mess of
1: listener mail. (laughs) You're right. Josh, this is, uh, we're just going to call this Muppet Mail. And we uh, are going to go on a little longer than usual with our mail because the Muppet podcast, I think we will all agree, um, was sort of a sea change episode. And plus, we
0: just want to see how how long this uh, background music actually goes for. I know.
1: I mean, we literally got better response from the muppet show episode than uh anything we've ever done i would say wouldn't you yeah the henson company twittered about it yeah heather
0: henson uh, heard, we should say our colleague and friend jonathan strickland of tech stuff uh-huh. fame uh his uh sister sister knows is friends heather with henson. heather henson and it it went viral thanks to him yeah that's awesome
1: yeah so we got great response. It's clear that everyone loves the Muppets, and uh, so I wanted to go just through a few of these because I didn't want to just do one. Um, quickly, before we start, oh, and we never do this, but um, a guy sent me an email, and I kind of uh, touched a chord with me. So I want to quickly give a shout-out for uh, for Joe to Beth in Elwood, Indiana. And Joe just wants to say that he thinks that you are a pretty cool chick, Beth.
0: Chuck, are you playing matchmaker? Is that why you're wearing nothing but a diaper and you have those wings <laughs> I'm on not your not saying.
1: Back? But Beth and Elwood, uh, Joe, Joe thinks you're a cool chick and uh, so do we. Because she actually sent us a Alien Hand Syndrome video, which rocked. Cool. That was good. I'll show it to you. Uh, yeah. Quick uh, couple of things that we didn't mention in corrections, first of all. Um, I mistakenly refer to the Children's Television Workshop as the Children's Television Network. So I goofed that one. You're thinking of Home Shopping Network. I was. For kids. Uh, We did not mention every Muppet movie. We did not mention every Muppet venture because... No, I I want to
0: elucidate on this. We did that on purpose. First of all, we mentioned the three that were in theatrical release.
1: Directed by Jim Henson. Yes, and by first of all, I mean that's it. Right. Right. (laughs) So a lot of people said, how could you not mention Muppets Christmas Carol? And we wanted to mention everything, but... We, we would have been sitting here reading things all day long about the Dark Crystal and uh, other uh, Muppet Ventures. So we chose to only do the Henson ones.
0: Which I have to say, Dark Crystal, it creeps me out still yeah. to this And that day. was Henson
1: too, because I know people are going to write and say that was Henson, but get over it. Right. Uh, uh, we had a guy named Peter wrote in, and he told us about the Muppet What Not Workshop. Yeah, at uh, Goldman Sachs. Uh, FAO Schwartz. Yes. And you can go to New York City, and you could do it online, but I looked and it's down right now. But, um, I think it's just
0: around Christmas time or the holidays.
1: No, they got bought out by uh, Toys R Us, I think, so that's down right now. But you can still go to New York, you can go to the Muppet Workshop, and you can build your own whatnot. At Goldman Sachs. <laughs> it costs about 100 bucks, and he sent me a picture of he and his uh, little cute daughter with her Muppet whatnot. So you want to thank Peter for that. And I actually, God, I'm going on and on, but Peter had one of the big... Uh, Fu Manchu mustaches like me. Yeah. Did I tell you about this? No. And I said, uh, very cool, Peter. Thanks for sending this. I said, looks like you picked up a mustache while you were there. (laughs) And he wrote back and said, no, I got that at the Sam Elliott Elliott Supply Center down the street or something like that. Nice. Peter packed a picnic supper. Um, So that is all for the corrections. Now we have a few emails. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Josh and Chuck had just listened to How Muppets Worked. I was excited to hear you talk about it because you mentioned the costume designer for Miss Biggie, who happens to be my Aunt Callista.
0: Oh, wow. Uh,
1: she uh, If you look up the Muppet movie, you can see her in the costume and wardrobe department on IMDb. Uh, she worked closely with Henson, and I've actually seen a picture of her with Jim Henson setting up some Muppets in Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Uh, she left the Muppets, I think, when Jim Henson died, but we still see her once a year. Mm. That's from Sam. Mm-hmm. And Josh is, in fact, eating a Reese's Cup. Uh, (laughs) On to the next one. Uh, Hi, guys. I love your recent podcast. I was listening and thought I would mention that Jim Henson studied Muppetology at University of Maryland. Uh, I know this because I went to school there, and there is a Jim Henson Studies program, and it is our claim to fame. Um, I didn't know he went to my school until I went there. And there is actually a little uh, bench a statue. It's a bench with Henson sitting on it, and Kermit sitting on the back of the bench, and they're kind of holding hands. That is beyond cute. It is very cute. So, and and she also says that um, this is from uh, Alicia that they have the rights to it. It ain't easy being green and Rainbow Connection. So, Uh-oh. their marching band actually plays that
0: At the University of Maryland go Terps.
1: Yeah, go Terps. Uh, moving on. Man, listen to this background music, Chuck. It is never I, know, I know, I know, I uh, know. We compared the Muppet Show to Thirty Rock, and Phil of Linden, Washington, has this to say: um, "I was trying to imagine Sesame Street would look like in real life. Two little boys getting their own apartment, a giant bird that sleeps behind garbage cans, a few scattered, seemingly sensible adults who really have no jobs and nothing else to do. <laughs> no, Mr. Hooper had a story. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's true. Uh, finally, it hit me while working my job as a special ed classroom assistant." It is one big government-operated group home facility for special needs children and adults. <laughs> oh, uh, think about it. Bert uh, displays classic Asperger's syndrome. They share a bedroom uh, and obviously have some adult taking care of the rest of their house. Oscar is schizophrenic with his mood swings and a worm <laughs> is a best friend, as is Big Bird with his imaginary friend, uh, was it Snuffleupagus? Uh-huh. And uh, tell me Grover's not dealing with severe ADHD and Cookie Monster from manic bipolar tendencies. And the jobless adults, Gordon, Susan, and Bob. So, that's from Phil. Are are they jobless adults or the caregivers? He says they're jobless adults. All right. I've got two more. Uh, Jerry's laughing at how long this is going, but I warned her. I was listening to your fantastic podcast, and I had to write in, I am getting married at the Henson Soundstage next year. Sweet. So cool. Uh, He and his wife-to-be toured the soundstage. It was like being behind the scenes at the Muppet Show we were honored as the first wedding ever to be hosted there and I asked him I wrote him back was like dude what's the hookup?" and yeah. he had none he just asked huh they rented out to people apparently for things and no one's ever thought to have a wedding there. Huh. and that is from uh, he gave us some facts but we don't have time for that uh, that is from Dan and uh, of TDF because he's a cool artist I wanted to plug that from Dan and finally Josh From uh, Jake in Newport, Ritchie, Florida Says uh, I was an accident of the 80s And I missed the Muppet heyday But I was lucky enough to have three older sisters And parents who had the foresight To ensure that they taped several seasons of the Muppet show Uh, So Jake is a big fan of the Muppets now And he told us this fact Which I did not know Since Jim Henson's death Ralph the dog has not spoken And is seldom used And it's uh, my understanding That they do this out of reverence to Mr. Henson Because Ralph was his favorite Muppet
0: Oh yeah Yeah, Chuck just wiped away a tear. teary eye. You sweet old softy.
1: So that's Muppet Mail. We got hundreds of of pieces of mail and good blog response. And thanks for sending them in. It was a good show. Yeah, and uh, we'll try
0: to keep you uh, supplied with more good shows in the future. If you want to send an email and try to make Chuck cry, it's not that hard, Uh, you can send it to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
1: More on this and thousands of other topics. Visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey, Sarah. I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. Omg, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool.